0: The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org.
1: So one of the associations that some people make with Buddhist monastics is that they go live in the forest, meditate a lot, are outside of society, not really participating fully in the world, and maybe even selfish, uh, doing their own practices, you know, ignoring everyone else. And so, in this Shakavati Sutta, we have uh, it's teaching two monastics, and in fact, the teaching says, "Be an island unto yourself," which could go along with that kind of idea. But then the story that's told is all about society. And how ethics and ethical behavior has an impact on our society as a whole. And how good government or bad government has an impact on our society as a whole. Um, the problems in the society begin with problems in government, trickle down. But once it started there, and things are kind of a little bit off, you know, the, you don't see the king anymore. It's just all these pe- people start doing all, you know, all these terrible things. And it just, they, they create the conditions for more terrible things. And, Deterioration of it all, and the and the improvement of it all of society. This, you know, the, the is, doesn't come from the king, doesn't come from the government. It comes from the individuals who decide to live an ethical life. So, what impact? What does it have? Or what you know? What what, what do you have to? What do you think about this? That the monastic practice that the Buddha is teaching monastics. He's using an example from society at large government and ethics and how the wider society lives and benefits, doesn't benefits from how people live. Is there some bearing on this? How does this relate to this topic?
2: When we were reading that section, the first thing that occurred to me was that in one respect, he could be actually using the society as a model for whether or not the monastic order itself stayed strong and pure. And the examples from lay society could kind of be interpreted as, well, this could also happen to us. To us.
1: So if we don't live ethically, our society, our monastic society, will will start deteriorating. Mm-hmm.
2: And then the, the second um, kind of flip side of that is how, um, as we were talking before... Um, examples of behavior spread and examples of virtuous behavior are very important to have, whether it's individually or collectively. And the monastics could be an example of that.
1: So there's all these parallels, right? He offers parallels. So the other parallel, which was between the seven royal treasures and the seven factors of awakening. You know, so those are the real treasure, maybe, of a monastic. Um, But uh, even though there might be parallel and one might reflect back on the other, uh, are they hermetically separated?
3: One of the items we discussed in the group earlier and probably bears um, bringing up to the group was Unlike other Buddhist societies, our understanding is that the monastics in India were dependent upon society. They begged rather than grew their own mm-hmm. food or, or other activities. So you could look at it as a food chain. And if the larger society's values changed, the monastic community would likely cease to exist. So to to that extent, I think it uh, you know there is some relevancy. Uh, to not only the monastics about the importance of the larger society, but also a message to the society as well to to keep the momentum going.
4: Uh-huh. OK. Thank you.
1: In the back, Bruni.
5: Thank you. Um, the way in which I um, see it, just thinking of our society and, and just translating the text is, is an act of courage. It's an act, it's really an act of courage because I see um, when it says be your island and being the refugees, I think that that is a very, at least for me, it's a very strong force that will keep me, will keep me centered, even if I'm afraid, and that is stronger. It will keep me solid in my path. For example, at the workplace, if I'm afraid of um, of declaring something that is unethical because of consequences. Just thinking where I'm taking refuge, that really sustains me and give me enough um, strength and faith to move forward. And after the action, it gives me a lot of peace. Um, so it's um, even though it's not setting the story, there's a lot of courage that comes out of a, as a result of being your own refuge mm. and seeing the impact seeing that we're connected to others
1: nice nice so well maybe one of, the, one of the ways of looking at the story of the king is that we're supposed to be our own king our own you know and the lion's roar is usually something a practitioner makes not a king makes So maybe there's something about uh, becoming our own royalty. So I'd like to know from you what you think. In, In your society, circles, world that you live in, when might it be useful to tell these stories? Do they have any usefulness in this modern life of ours? or the suttas, or the frames? Go ahead, ahead Mary.
6: For me personally, um, I can comprehend, and it comes through to me, information I absorb information much more easily through stories. Um, I would no way be able to get through that book. Even the things you said today, it's just like, what? This is kind of like my first exposure. But but it could be a sample of a first exposure of anything. Um, but a story opens me up. Mm. And, and, and I can start... Making sense of what, how I want to live, why I why that story would be important, mm-hmm. or what what you're trying to share with me. So for me, stories are really really important.
1: Great, great, thank you.
6: So um, I I love that that stories open you up. That's beautiful, and I th- I think they they do for so many of us, um, so I don't have a uh, in my mind, this is the time when I'd use a story, but what I do find myself wondering is when would be the right times and, and do I even think, or does the idea of story even arise when I'm with someone, but when I want to really convey something, um, uh, share a teaching or share a wisdom idea, I know that if I talk about it in the abstract, then it's, um, it's ideas out of my head. If I tell a story, then I think it is something that goes to people's hearts, and probably goes to mine at the same time, so it becomes a shared experience. So um, I just love the idea that we're focusing on stories, and I think it's a wise practice to find uh, in our lives in different settings.
1: So the question, yeah. thank you Judy Uh,
3: thank you I I find that using a story or analogy instead of um, lecturing helps to um, remove me from the equation so I'm not telling somebody what to do or I'm not I'm not being perceived as telling somebody what to do um, or or even even less than that i it, it's all i 'm removed from the equation here 's an example of something as it may have existed. You can take whatever you 'd like from it, and I think it 's also more transferable that way. so if somebody um, may want to pass that on it 's not like Oh David said this, and this is right or wrong and then all of a sudden there's there's some opinion based on who the who the the um, originator of the story was or or of this verse, it, it all of a sudden takes on a, a form of its own without me being part of it. Mm, great.
1: Uh, okay. Over here.
2: Um, it would certainly have to be adapted, but the first story from the Aganya Sutta, um, I could almost see being for children, about sharing and about exemplary behavior and about how their um, way of showing up moves through groups. And the, um, the second one really struck me as something that would work well in a relational context, maybe more of a relational kind of retreat or workshop, um, where people might be starting to extend their mindfulness beyond the confines of their own body and beyond the confines of even their own dharma circle and be looking a little bit further out. So I I'm, I'm love the fact, I'll just echo what Judy said, that we're focusing on this. I'd like to s- see a lot more of um, the stories from the suttas get unearthed.
1: Great. Thank you.
7: Um, you said earlier that people are most receptive to the Dharma when they have some combination of the right combination of happiness and suffering. <laughs> I think that people may have the most receptivity to stories when they have the right combination of uncertainty and certainty mm. in that a person or a society as a whole needs to be at some kind of a transition point where there's some openness to possibilities and the story opens us and offers possibilities and may offer you know this is the wholesome one and this is the unwholesome one some kind of guidance so there has to be an openness to an unwillingness to change and there has to be enough stability or certainty within that to feel that there is the power to make that change Um, And so then the story has the most impact and feels empowering, like we can make this choice.
1: Nice.
6: Okay, thanks. Just a thought. Um, I I was impressed because it worked for me. I I loved the way you both told stories. They they were different styles, but um, I found the manner in which you you transmitted the story, that you told the story, very engaging. The fact that you said it within a frame helped me. But even if you had not, and I think that was skillful in itself, but the way in which you said the story, where you emphasized sections or where you told things as though you were delighted with the thing that you were saying, I think was very evocative and very important. So I think this idea of storytelling is something that would benefit from uh, practice for all of us, Mm -hmm. so just a thought. I don't know quite how that might manifest, but I I think it would be a uh, a skillful practice Mm -hmm. to develop.
1: So now, yes, one more, and then I I want to say something.
4: I really appreciated how um, both the stories were cautionary tales and also how they were inspiring. Um, and they really taught, they were teaching tools without being didactic. Thou shall do this. And and it's interesting that the Buddha is using them that way as well. In the frame, in the second uh, sutta, in the frame, he is setting up, do this, do, monks don't do that. And then in the story, he's inspiring, he's cautionary and inspiring um, and um, and Gil, similar to your earlier years, I'm an anti-story, a-story, whatever you want to call it, person. And um, I'm sitting here and and thinking. So far, stories have been what other people told. I didn't tell them.
1: That's a good story.
4: <laughs> 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 that might change.
1: Great.
0: Thank you. I wanted to um, build on that a little bit that as we've been talking about these stories happen um, inside a frame and you had mentioned that they kind of open you up and I think often we relate to stories more from a, if I can use this language, a heart-centered place kind of but there 's also a place for the mind centered you know way to think about There is a place for to be didactic and have lists. These are the four noble truths and the eightfold path and so I think um, I can imagine the Buddha in that last one giving a talk to many monks. And maybe some of those monks were in a place that uh, maybe a heart-centered story would reach them is what they needed, or maybe there would be some people for whatever reason maybe something that spoke to their intellect and their mind is what was was needed at that time. So I love that we're talking about stories, and I also really appreciate that these suttas are combining them with the kind of the opposite of stories with things that have very distinct lists and are more um, pragmatic and so the. A combination of the two.
1: The, this uh, real t- sutta, the, 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 the way it's written, it's taught to monks, and the story then is also talk to, talk to monk, taught to monks. But uh, maybe that's not what, how it was originally written. I mean, that's how it was originally written, but it wasn't written for that purpose, it, it was written for society. And part of the per- one way of looking at it is that the starting with monks and having the frame being the monastic practices is used to validate the importance of ethical practices for the laity. The fact that there's parallel worlds, that the monastics have a certain duty, a certain set of practices they do, and lay people are not going to do that, but they have their own set. And their set is a ten, ten skillful actions, at least respecting their parents and doing these different things. And so another way of interpreting this text is that, um, is that the emphasis is more on ethics for lay people and the story, the, the, the teachings for the monastics are just kind of uh, creating kind of the, um, indicating the greater value lay ethics is. Make some sense? Um, because who's the stories for, these texts? Who was who, who it composed for and who was the audience for it? And I can imagine that uh, a story about this ancient king uh, gets retold many times around the campfire, gets retold in the courts, gets retold in many areas, and it stays with people in their minds. And people interpret and hear it and think about it and do it new in different ways as it goes along. And it has more enduring value as it spreads out into society. If the Buddha just sat down and said, be an island unto yourselves and do the four foundations of mindfulness, and that's the end of the sutta, I think that would have been nice. It's powerful, deep, important teachings. But I I don't know if it would have evoked something in continuity in people's minds and some people then referred to and talked about and came back to. So... So, in this uh, turning the wheel of the Dharma, well, you know, so it's back up a little bit here, so before we end the last few minutes, part of the uh, idea of offering this class was to talk about personal transformation in the public good and how this comes across in these texts. And one of the things we see in this text is that personal ethical behavior doesn't uh, only have consequences for oneself, but uh, according to these texts, it has ripple effects out into society. And our own personal transformation of becoming more ethical beings is part and parcel of the transformation of our society. And I think this is one of the strong emphasis of Buddhism is the importance of personal change, not just for oneself, but for the world around us. so, so the Buddhist, early Buddhist analysis of monastics that go in the forest and the hermits in practice alone is that they're not selfish. Uh, it might actually be a very selfless thing to do because they're involved in a very challenging, courageous uh, practice of personal transformation, the kind of personal transformation that society as a whole needs to uh, have or experience or be in touch with. If no one does this deep inner work of changing their hearts, then we're all lost. And so rather than being selfish, it's actually selfless. And, and there is this, this relationship between self and other. There's a relationship between self and society that's playing out here. And in these two texts, one of them is, uh, mostly has to do with um, individual behavior affecting the world around us. And the other begins with a very important role that our governments have. For setting the context and stage for our society as a whole, and and for other people's kind of ethical behavior, and where do you pick this up depends on the situation. When do you emphasize the government action and the public good, and when do you emphasize the? Uh, oops, we, I did I do wrong? That was the last slide. Oh, that was the last slide. Oh, can we? Can you? well it's okay so um some of the things that the gov- that the, the rulers the government does in some of these suttas doesn't that, that probably doesn't sit so well for some of us like in the agana Sutta, the first choice the first ruler uh, his job was to punish and rebuke people you know maybe that's a role important role for punishment and Police and judges and all that are an important part of government, and that's the only ro- only role. seemed kind of odd to me, and then the the these discourses making up for it because in the Sakavati Sutta, rebuking people was uh, not what the. In fact, when he, when the when the king there, the eighth king, uh, punished someone, uh, that was the end. And that was the beginning of the end. And there it was all about these twelve duties that the king has to do, protecting others and supporting the needy and living by the Dharma um, so then the last thing I'll say um, in the 2008 election presidential election I was asked to to um, I was invited to have a dinner one day with uh, Dennis Kucinich, who was running for president. And I thought that was kind of neat. So I said, sure. And I've been to this person's house before. And I thought, perhaps the house is not that big. So I thought it would just be a small group of us. So I got there. And it turned out that uh, the uh, person, I didn't realize the person had a big backyard. And there was tents and tables. And I don't know how many people, 50 people there, 100 people there, a lot of people there. And so it was a kind of a political thing. But I was, I was a designated minister mm. for this event. So I was asked to do a blessing for this. I was you know presented as kind of like a Buddhist minister or something. So I was asked to do a blessing. So what do I do? Denis Kucinich, I mean, he could be the next president, right? So this is consequential. So uh, not from these texts here, but there is in the Pali Suttas something called the Ten... Uh, qualities of a ruler. And uh, so I took those 10 qualities and uh, and I, I, I said that in America, I said there are these 10 qualities that the Buddhist tradition has for a ruler, but in America, we're all rulers. In a democracy, we're all meant to be rulers. And these are qualities for all of us in, our, in being citizens of our country, being participants. And then I, I, I recited these 10 qualities with, the kind of with the some kind of uh, wording of may we be this way, honest. May we have integrity, may we be generous, may we something. Or may, I might have made it a little more elaborate, you know, for the sake of our society, may we be this way. And so I, w- I felt very lucky that I had in my back pocket um, enough familiarity with these texts that I could pull out this particular list and, uh, and use it in a situation where I was asked to be religious, kind of hold a religious kind of sacred space for the, this and just, you know, evoke these, you know, uh, you know, what a nice thing to evoke honesty and integrity and all that. And um, it's one of the kind of gifts we give people is sometimes when you're in this kind of religious world. And so these kinds of stories also have can have that kind of role in our society. There might be a time and place where uh, telling a story um, and you might tell the story differently than how it literally is, because that's what storytellers do. But these kinds of stories might um, have a very important role to convey a message, a uh, message of the time. So Dennis Kucinich said he was very, he came over to me specifically, said that was a great, he loved it and he wanted a copy of it. So I don't know what kind of life that had after that, but I, he's no longer running for president. Okay, so, um, it, you, you wanna say any last words? I'm sorry.
0: So we started here with the first slide that we started with and there are three suttas up here, right? And we only talked about two. Gil and I kind of revised the schedule, kind of monitoring where the energy was and what was interesting. But now, maybe with what you know about the ideas of frames and stories and storytelling, maybe you'll be interested to go back and to look at the Kuttadanta story, uh, or Sutta, which is in the Dighana number five. And this, I will say, um, is a little bit interesting that um, is specifically, if I remember correctly, I think the Buddha even says, I'm going to tell a story now, and he launches into a story so I've just now um, invite you to look at this sutta and learning, taking what you've learned from this, and um, and see what you can find from Kutadanta Sutta.
1: And then, uh, as is the custom for these daylongs, um people who come here to practice here or learn here uh, are the people who care, care for the building. And if we could have maybe seven people stay behind to do the basic tidying up of the kitchen and the bathrooms. And it takes about 10 minutes or so. Do we have seven people that could do that? So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Great. And Tony is kind of the uh, command central so that uh, you can talk, talk to him and, and hope that way not everyone ends up cleaning the same bathroom. Oh, and Peg, you need a ride to the airport? Anybody can take Peg up to the San Francisco airport? Uh, are you going to Berkeley you go through the city Bruni ok uh, Okay. Uh, Bruni went through the chaplaincy program a few years ago but so did Judy <laughs> so you get the, both people are offered it's because they're chaplains they offered <laughs> <laughs> Peg just finished ok thank you all very much for the day